is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast, your hopefully favorite Chelsea podcast in the universe, in the world, in whatever sphere you occupy. Dan, one of your hosts here, no Nick and Brandon, they are hard at work on other Chelsea summer tour activities, but the Chelsea again news does not stop. It just keeps pressing on. It keeps continuing. And so the wonderful Joe Tweeds has agreed to join me on his Wednesday afternoon or evening, my Wednesday afternoon, to talk about the latest and greatest and maybe not so greatest things going on in the Chelsea universe. So welcome back, Joe. Yeah, cheers, Dan. No, it's, uh, I think it was going to be a fairly straightforward, I would guess, by our standards podcast until <laughs> until the hand grenade that has come from Fabrizio Romano has arrived on the timeline. So uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm interested to, to dig into obviously with the, the goings on, but that was certainly just before we've, we've recorded for, for posterity is going to be a, a very interesting little topic that we can dig into towards the end, I would imagine. Yeah, we have plenty that we can get into today, considering that uh, it is the day that in fact, the first men's team signing in the Todd Bully era of owning Chelsea has been completed. And Raheem Sterling, you uh, are actually the crew did a wonderful job of getting into the Sterling signing with Sam, Ali and young drip Lord Jake himself and giving us a wonderful deep dive into their reaction. But we'll, we'll touch on that briefly. We'll then get into Koulibaly finally after about uh, 10 decades worth of linking the player to Chelsea. Finally, making his way from Napoli to London. And then we'll go ahead to what, what does this mean for the rest of the defense? There's plenty of attackers that we're still, or defenders that we're linked with and what's going to happen there. And maybe some knock-on effects to some talented youngsters, the Fabrizio Romano tweet uh, aforementioned, and then maybe one or two attacking rumors that are still out there. But uh, high-level notes, it's just, uh, hey, summer tour is coming up. Uh, if you haven't signed up for things, you probably should because we're basically sold out or at capacity almost for all the spaces that we are looking to be at in Vegas and Charlotte and Orlando. There are event rights out there. Go to our Twitter page if you want more information or Instagram or TikTok because Ishan's doing great work there. Uh, Patreon, CJ, Brian, Joel, Andrew, Tristan, Samuel, and Brent, thank you for joining and supporting the podcast on Spotify 4.9 stars on 1.2K reviews. Getting close at 1.3, I would hope so. So help us get there. And then uh, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Or convince someone you know, just a friend, maybe a stranger on the bus. I don't know. Ask somebody to leave a five-star review for us. It'd be great. But Joe, Raheem Sterling, he's here, Chelsea tweeted this afternoon or this morning in U.S. time zone that uh, hashtag Sterling is Chelsea with wonderful shot in the, I imagine the Hollywood area of, uh, of Los Angeles. And so what do you think? How excited are you? How are you feeling now that the first men's team signing has actually been completed, photo in kit, and now on his way to a training session? Yeah, I think this one has been, I suppose for, for Chelsea fans, it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, I think only Leicester now, I think I'm right at the time of recording, I think at least to say that they're the only team now that haven't made a, a first team signing for, for the men's team. Um, I think Sterling looks particularly good in the kit. I think that that was sort of my first takeaways here, but I think it's a very kind of smart and, and astute piece of business. Um, Sterling, obviously being somebody who grew up in London, has that sort of connection to to sort of West, Northwest kind of London and sort of around um, sort of Chelsea and, and, and that sort of part of, of London as well. I think the, the the homecoming tag that he used on, I think some of his socials was was very, very decent from his representatives as well. Um, overall, I think, I think it's a very positive signing. Um, I think mainly because because we have signed him from Manchester City, I think people are viewing this in a slightly different context. So where you are going to get somebody of, of Sterling's ability, his output, the the quality and calibre player that he is, if you were going to get that from a, an external league or, or potentially buying um, somebody like, a, you know, like Rafinha, who we were linked with at a, at a sort of quote-unquote lesser club, um, I think there would be slightly more excitement about it. it, it there's always this sort of stigma around... Um, taking kind of hand-me-down players from from teams who are in a better position than, than yourselves at the moment. And I think there's, there's partly due to the fact that Sterling probably wants to... Um probably wants to return to London. I think maybe there is a, an element that he wants to be more of a, a central figure in a team. Um, but the 
the the real I suppose uh, interesting thing for me would be you know if he is to continue playing as a as a left sided player, obviously the the knock on that that has for for a number of players in the squad, but the potential for him to to actually link up with somebody like Ben Chirwell, who again if he if he returns to the sort of form he was displaying pre injury or gets close to that level. The prospect of having a, a Sterling and, and Cheerwell combination on the left is is very tantalising. I think it has an awful lot of, of chemistry. I think there is there is much to to like about the balance. We have Cheerwell as sort of obviously the natural left-footed player. Sterling's ability to sort of cut in and finish and, and be creative and and have that sort of pace and creativity about him as well. So um, yeah, a, a very I think a very very um, sort of smart and, and, and adroit signing by by Todd Bowley to make um, the deal. And in terms of the terms, it, it is what you're playing for a, a player who has contributed to a number of Premier League title wins and, and has uh, you know a, a multitude of, of England caps as well to his name. So overall, I think I'm very very positive with the deal. I, I do think in terms of the the grander scheme of, of Chelsea and, and Chelsea fans, had he come from abroad and had a similar kind of pedigree and profile, I think people would be slightly more excited about it. But I think if we're looking as a as a player to sort of not revolutionise, but certainly to to take uh, Chelsea's kind of attacking trio or whoever it may be next season, take them a step forward. I think Sterling has been a, a really, I think a really successful target. And I think somebody who is actually going to perform very well in, in Chelsea Blue. Well, we did have a three-word signing reactions. It's a new one, Joe. We're trying it out, patent pending, all that thing, trademark in approval. And there were a couple that definitely ticked some boxes here. There was one with uh, just Savage DML with He Want Greatness, uh, Emiya with Dish Serve Cold. You had plenty of people with Raheem the Dream, uh, Timo the Drogs with Pounds for Sterling. A lot of Sterling-related puns within this. That's not going to surprise Zarley with the Sterling as Silver. I think the, uh, Denzel had Razmataz, which I like that one as well. And then Kevin would just say, should do nicely, which I think is a great way to encapsulate what it is that happened, that there's the Premier League proven talent. There's someone who is a leader on and off the pitch and someone who does have the data points to say they would add a level of success to this side. And, and at a minimum, is significantly raising the floor of Chelsea and what we can do in our attacking space and and actually probably makes it so some attackers that were maybe in consideration for the season actually pushes them closer to being in the periphery than they were being in kind of the the focal point. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, I, I think again the the point about sort of the 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 focal point of, of an attack. I think you know at City you are very much in a rotation. You're not necessarily going to be the first choice guy. Lots of of anecdotal stuff and rumor about uh, some some sort of not relationship issues, but certainly some some trying times with Sterling and, and Guardiola. I think at Chelsea you're getting a guy in his prime. Um, who is going to either give you a, a really, really talented option on the right-hand side or, or a potentially uh, a match winner playing from the left-hand side as well. So while the, the balance of the squad may suffer, obviously guys like Christian Pulisic and, and Callum Hudson-Odoi and, and others who have maybe played from that left-hand side look less likely to feature now. But that, I guess, is, is sort of the, the nature of the beast when you're trying to add players of, of Sterling's undoubted quality, given the, the accolades he has, given the statistics that back it up, given just his general profile and, and, and calibre and and talent um but yeah it, it it will be interesting i think to see particularly with let's say a, a sort of a dovetailing act with somebody like kai Havertz, um how sterling is able to to influence the game as a much more prominent figure of, of the game plan you would have to think certainly with with tuchel earmarking him and Bowley making him the first signing that there is a clear plan there um, but with uh, with Chelsea signings, even under a new regime, you will still always have that little bit of uh, of doubt until you see them play a handful of games. Just exactly what sort of the the idea there is with him. So hopefully, as I said, left hand side, Kai Havertz down the middle. Um, hopefully, there is chemistry there and, and Ben Chill supporting. But it's going to be one of those. I think people people will wait and see. And I think you know the the pressure will be on him to deliver. I think that he has the talent and the ability to do so. So I'm very, very hopeful that this is going to be one of those that is uh, a signing that can that take us a step closer back to being a, a real competitive team domestically. Yeah, and just to cap on Raheem Sterling, some of the first comments that he made to the club's official website saying, first and foremost, it's a pleasure to be here. I've obviously achieved a lot in my career so far, but there's still so much more to achieve. And I'm really looking forward to doing that in a Chelsea shirt under Thomas's management. He did make the cheeky comment about the blue being darker in one of the other social 
media videos that they released. He followed up by saying that London is my home. It's where it all started for me. It's amazing. I now have the opportunity to play in front of friends and family week in and week out at Sanford Bridge. I'm really looking forward to meeting the fans there soon. And I do want to take the opportunity to thank Todd, uh, Badad, the ownership group, Thomas, and all involved in the process of getting me here. I can't wait to get going and continue to do my talking on the pitch. Really, I, I don't think he could have put, you know, had a, a better couple of first lines for Chelsea supporters, kind of underlines wanting to be here, what he can accomplish here. And uh, given the current or uh, recent memories of uh, attacking individuals of past, uh, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we we obviously have the the juxtaposition with with a certain guy who has departed back to uh, back to Milan. But those as sort of first words entering the club. Yeah, I mean, the, the connection to London, I think, was a probably a big personal reason for him wanting to wanting to move home. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's nice to also have the the talking on the pitch aspect. I think is going to be very important for him. You know, he's a uh, a real kind of, I think, was a, a real sort of central point or a keystone of sort of City's kind of off-the-field activities. And I would imagine that that sort of, of personality that he has and the character that he has will carry over to to Chelsea in that respect as well. But he's always been a player that has, has done his talking on the pitch. So, um, yeah, that. And I think, plus, as you say, the the attachment to this part of London, to the the sort of the narrative of coming home, I think is, is fantastic. And certainly, which, uh, you know, where you're contrasting it to, to others who, who have been maybe a little less complex complimentary of the club or a little bit more uh, sulky then yeah I think it's obviously a, a huge um, a huge opening statement or I think one that he can he can certainly live up to well from one signing to another just in almost record time maybe this feels a little little like it took a while to get started but has now the shades of that uh, 14-15 type time frame where it's like signing back to back to back because we were getting Many, 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 many updates over the last 24 hours about Koulibaly. Look, it, the transfer started in 2016, had many stops and starts, but finally, in the year 2022, Koulibaly is heading to Chelsea. We have Matt Law dropping the tweet saying that we've agreed to a 34 million pound deal to sign in Koulibaly from Napoli, and that he was touching down in London first to do a medical and then flying either to LA or direct to Vegas to join up with the rest of the Chelsea squad. Joe, I know we've talked a little bit about Koulibaly before as the delict price continued to rise and it seemed like that that was no longer going to be a primary option. Todd Bowley makes a quick shift, agrees to something fast, gets the deal done, and Koulibaly, after years and years of will he, won't he, finally becomes a Chelsea player. Yeah, this is uh, probably one of the longest-running sagas in in Chelsea transfer history. Um Maybe one to rival the uh, the, the Hulk. Hulk saga. Yeah, I mean it's. I, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to do a comparison on timelines, but it, it feels like it's very much touching the the Hulk level of of will he won't he to Chelsea story. Um, I think on on Koulibaly himself. I mean, this is a guy who I think is very clearly being targeted as a senior figure in what potentially will be a very young centre back room. You know, I was of the opinion that I felt Mateus Delic was a was a, is a you know he's a good player. He's a very good centre back in the right system, maybe the right league, but the sort of money, you know, the 110 million, 110 million pound, uh, sorry, 110 million euro mark that Juventus were, were sort of looking at for him was so out of the realms of, of what was reasonable. Um, I mean, I, I sort of valued him at between 40, 40 and sort of 50 million pounds in terms of what Chelsea would, would probably be comfortable paying for him. Um, and obviously with the absence of, of Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen leaving on, on threes, there needed to be somebody, I think, coming into that centre-back room who has the experience to to deputise. And while stylistically there is uh, not an enormous amount, I would say, in terms of how Rudiger has has played the, the left-sided centre-back role and, and, and sort of Koulibaly's, uh, I suppose, game, um, I think there, there's, there's a clear move here to get somebody in who has the experience to play both in a, in a four and a three. Um, obviously, a, a naturally left-footed player, a guy who... who I think is, is is very very technically proficient. Has a wonderful switch of play, the ability to to drive the ball into into sort of midfield areas, ability to to pick up passes. But he's being signed, I think, because he's a very good defender. Even at sort of thirty one and sort of the money that Chelsea are paying for him, I note that Phil Chelsea Youth, I think, mentioned that he might be the the oldest or the most expensive player of that age and above ever. 
Um, but I think certainly from from watching him for for Napoli and, and taking on the opinions of those who watch more Italian football than I do, um, you know, this is is a guy who I believe is is going to be. Um, Certainly a successful player at Chelsea. I mean, we we know that he has the the physical tools, he has the height, he has the 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 bulk to be a, a Premier League defender. But it's the it's the intelligence, it's the, the the defensive positions that he takes in the penalty area. It's his ability to read and react to to attacking situations as they unfold, and his ability to to close and to to use that that very very high football IQ that he has as a centre half with his physical tools that make him such a great player. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's a signing for the money. And certainly when you're comparing him to, to De Ligt, it feels like it's going to be your sort of mid, short to midterm sort of cover. Um, maybe again, looking at a possible retirement of Thiago Silva in a year's time. Um, having somebody like Koulibaly there on a longer term deal as a guy who can play maybe in the middle or a guy that can obviously help um, sort of bring along and, and nurture and, and mentor some of the younger players that we have. Um, but it feels very much like a, a signing that was was sort of catalyzed by the the delict price, um, and it, it probably shows how how adept Todd Bowley is as, as a negotiator. He is, or, or certainly comes across as somebody who has um, many sort of, of conversations happening concurrently and, and focuses on um, moving along deals at sort of a, a parallel kind of pace. And to switch from from delict and and the the sort of news that he might be leaning towards Bayern or that Bayern were, were happy to pay a certain price for him, and as that price went up, it was never really a question for me that Chelsea would would pay that for for delict. Who, as I said, good player, but he's he's never in that bracket of player. He's not a player that is is a, a Virgil Van Dijk in terms of the quality that he has and, and that sort of price tag that he has. So, I think the. The switching to, to Koulibaly was both an intelligent move from a business perspective, but also maybe it was slightly more what Chelsea need in terms of the athletic profile, in terms of just the ability and the flexibility that he has to play in a three and a four. Um, and also, obviously, you know, in terms of him being a, a, a colleague of, of Edouard Mendy as well, somebody, again, in that in that defence that, that will know the goalkeeper well, which is incredibly important. And I think just stylistically what he can do, particularly uh, his ability to switch play and to play quick passes out from the back, um, I think that would be a, a huge addition and something that I imagine Thomas Tuchel would look to exploit um, if we are continuing with a back three or even if we are switching to a, to a back four. But a very, very good player. Um, maybe he's come at Chelsea a little bit too late in his career, but from what I've seen of him, certainly in the past season, um, hasn't lost a step, is is still very much a, a physically talented player and somebody who um, you know relies very much on their ability to read and react rather than uh, any particular physical skill set so it would be I would imagine he has a a decent career at Chelsea and potentially somebody who has a long-term future here his his adaptation I think is not something I'm concerned with um, it would just be a question I think of him getting getting used to the tempo of the Premier League and then using his his skill set that we've seen at Napoli to to hopefully uh, become a, a very uh, adequate or hopefully better uh, replacement for for Antonio Rudiger. Well, and we're also adding height too. I know that we talked about yeah. this a couple of times before when you look at a, a Lilliputian defense that we have had over the past couple of years, particularly with some of our very small in stature attackers and adding someone who's almost six, five in terms of total height is a nice addition when it comes to having someone in your back line who can uh, look when everybody looks tiny to next to Edouard Mendy, but Koulibaly is going to look much taller than the majority of our, that center back room that you talked about, particularly when Reese James is five, nine, five, 10, I mean, Tago Silva's what six foot ish in terms of his kind of total height as well. And so it's nice to see that as a kind of part of a compliment as well, uh, particularly like when Rudiger you know, has left, Christensen has left, and you need to add a little bit more height, you know, just from the differences of the playing in Europe where we can kind of get away with it a little bit more versus playing in England where that's a bit more of a necessity or it's an. A, uh, maybe not a necessity, but it's a nice to have in your defensive arsenal that there is a little bit of the kind of big body element as well. Yeah, I mean the the comment around the height is something that I think we've we've made collectively as a, as a podcast for a very long period of time. Um, you know, it's very apparent. I remember sort of when we were at the FA Cup final, you and I, and I think uh, Nick sort of turned to each other as Liverpool came up for a lot, like kind of uh, a late corner. Um, you know, Van Dyke. I think it might be Matt, Matip, and um, or maybe it was um, was. Oh, what's the guy's name? Completely forgotten the guy's name. Uh, who's the other centre back that they signed? Oh, Gomez. Yeah, uh, not Gomez. The the other guy from from Germany. God, his name's completely gone. He's a French guy. Um, 
Anyway, okay, so the, the other centre-back that was on the pitch at the time, completely forgot his name, that's terrible. Um, yeah, but both of those, you know, when, when they're coming up, it's very apparent that the height difference that Chelsea have, you've got guys like, you know, Azpilicueta marking Van Dijk, or you've got somebody like, uh, you know, Rhys James marking a, a centre-forward who's like six foot three, for example. So, you know, the, the physical traits, certainly both in an attacking and a, a defensive sense, um, are, are things that I think certainly that, that Chelsea have, have lacked a tiny bit. I think that in some ways... Uh, not necessarily responsible, maybe from like a mental standpoint, it's a little bit responsible in terms of um, of, of how, sorry, it's Ibrahim Kenyate that's just come to me. Yeah, so Kenyate, the other guy at the back. Um, yeah, so him and, and, and Van Dyke coming up really was was a stark comparison to the guys that were marking them. And I think sometimes it's almost a, a psychological thing as well, where you have um, guys of, of short stature who are maybe not able to compete physically with, with guys that they're marking. You know, it, it gives the corner taker a little bit more uh, risk in terms of where they where they want to put their delivery because they think you know there's there's very little in stopping somebody who's six foot five being marked by a five at ten guy to, to win a header. So um, adding adding height adding physicality were, were a must for me. And I think Kudabali definitely ticks those boxes. Well, I think in general it, it seems like Todd did great business here, and I know there's concerns about the overall fee or the amount per annum that he's going to be making, but in general adding someone who doesn't really block anybody, any one individual, because I think he comes in as being that more veteran leader, really kind of taking up the Rudiger role, as it were, in our defense at this point, feels like a good thing to do. And I think it also shows a little bit of a different look in how Chelsea are going to be conducting business in the new regime, where if you can't get the one, make sure that you have a choice or a spectrum of individuals. And I think this is, to me, Joe, it's almost similar to how an NFL team thinks about their draft board. And there are NFL teams that get super invested into a singular player. Where it's like, that is the guy we want. And when the guy they want goes in the pick right before them, they have to now scramble with like, well, who was our number two or who was our backup? And it's never going to feel as good as the one you want. And this one, it seems like we didn't fall in love with one particular defender we said hey we've got a grouping of individuals that we're interested in and we're going to go sign x number of those individuals and we will be happy with any of them as long as they also fit where our ceiling is for where we think the deal should be and if it goes above that we're not going to continue down that deal and we'll already be down the line with another player that we want to get that we're going to be just as happy with. Yeah, and, and I think the the sort of concurrent thinking there, Dan, that you sort of alluded to is, is very, very important here. You know, the the delict price was going, you know, northwards. Almost it felt every single kind of six hours there was an update about prices and all this, that, the other that was going on. If that's the case, as you say, there is always a, a point in a deal where you have a, you have to set your boundary in terms of walking away. And, and that sort of boundary that I think Chelsea established is, is normally, you know, we, we will push the deal until the last minute and then we won't get the deal done and then it will be, uh, you're scrambling really for some very, very late minute additions. I think the difference we're seeing here is that they're not, um, they're not, as you say, they're not completely lasered in or dialed in on a particular candidate or a particular player to, to sort of go and try and push for in terms of a, in terms of a move. But they're actually looking at things in a slightly more, um, probably is a slightly more American sports way. As you say, they have their their sort of list of prospects, and as that guy is becoming less and less available, the focus is is switching to to look at somebody who they believe a deal that can be done for. And instead of you know waiting to start that negotiation after Delict becomes unavailable, having that sort of you know kind of poker in the iron, having that ability to to have those conversations in parallel means that that when you reach a point where you believe that the Delict deal doesn't happen, your focus immediately switches to a deal that is maybe sixty. 70% along the along the way and you're just looking to close out that final 30%. So really I think certainly an interesting way when you're looking at the the transfer strategy at the club certainly over the past 5-10 years has often been about making sort of big um, sort of moves for for single individual players, and, and when you know when the club don't want to play, and in, in, in some cases very rightfully so, don't want to pay an enormous sum of money for a player, um, you're, you're having to switch to very very last minute targets, and, and often just padding out the squad with some very very sort of mediocre and and, and above um, you know sort of very mediocre and, and, and below average players. So. Um, this kind of, I suppose, change of tact and, and maybe something that we'll see more in the future is, is you know, Chelsea still pushing very hard to sign, you know, their, their number one targets, the, the creme de la creme, the top tier players. 
but there is probably now a signal in the market that says that you know we're not going to to string along and try and make a deal happen and, and try and broker something until the last minute there is a set point now in the, in these discussions where we are quite happy to walk away and focus on other targets so you know if you want to get a deal done you want to have a uh, you know money coming in from from the club you need to play ball and you need to respect the fact that we're now quite happy to to walk away from from you know sort of transfer negotiations where we aren't you know we're feeling that we are starting to to go way beyond what, what we originally thought was a, a decent estimate for a player so certainly something to keep an eye on in the future but this was really i think an interesting way because you know the delict sort of move petered out two three days ago and immediately there's a replacement coming in and 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 all of the news seems to, to be pointed to him being the, the second signing for the for the men's team going forward so really really interesting and again i think points to, to Bowley's perspective on on how deals should be done and, and how i think he's going to to approach the market for the rest of the rest of the window oh look todd bully taking meals taking dinners and closing deals that's just what he does and we are thankful for it but we're going to take a very quick break before we get into the defense now as a total picture considering that there are still a few more holes to plug and maybe one or two attacking questions as we round out this episode but we'll be right back after thanking these sponsors for financially supporting the show all right our next partner has a product that i use literally every day i started taking ag1 because well it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat. And now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable, resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things again i do it it's easy it's fast it's quick uh throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work drink it 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 goes down quickly uh and like i said you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily uh but hey don't listen to me athletic greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews it's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as tim Ferriss and michael survey so right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day that's it no need for a million different pills supplements to look out for your gut health to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so as we continue forward, Joe, now there's the rest of the defense to figure out and stitch up together. And I guess maybe we should talk about these three as a grouping because there was the Nathan Ake deal, which Simon Johnson, as of yesterday, was saying that Chelsea are going to step up talks for him this week and they hope to complete the deal by the end of it. Personal terms already agreed. Kunde, where it's gone completely quiet, silent. There is no sound to pick up on that deal whatsoever. Seemingly maybe a deal that was more interesting to the old regime as a player that was identified versus someone who's Tom, Thomas Tuchel is interested in. And then Kimembe from PSG with Ornstein reporting as of an hour before we recorded this episode that Chelsea were in talks to sign him. PSG is open if the valuation is met and that there's nothing has happened yet, but the conversations are ongoing and Juventus is also in contact as well, given that they'll need to replace Delict going to Bayern. So I guess in that grouping, there's a lot of questions about who that second center back signing might be, or is it a third? Because there's also the, the Colwell news, which we'll get to in a second, or the Colwell statement slash hand grenade tweet that Fabrizio put out there. But how are you feeling about the names that we're being linked with and like what you see is likely happening? Yeah, this is, uh, I think this is an interesting thing here. So, I mean, it, it's it's kind of clear, or at least it's becoming clearer that, um, you know, Tuchel definitely wants to sign two centre-backs. And I think, well, we'll maybe tackle the, the cold wheel stuff separately separately at the end of this. But the Jules Kunde, I'll start with him because I, I never really understood the the fascination with, with Kunde as a player. Um, 
you know, very rarely do you, the sort of five foot ten centre backs succeed in the Premier League. There is almost a benchmark or parameter that you, you know, the majority, if not all, successful Premier League centre halves are six foot plus and above. Um, you know, he's got a great spring. He's a great athlete. All these sorts of caveats aside. Um, I just felt that whenever I watched him, this, this was a, a guy who was rash, who was was a little bit kind of reckless in his approach to the game. And, and maybe, you know, you could look at sort of how Tuchel kind of shaped Antonio Rudiger into more of kind of a weapon. Um, I didn't always get that that impression from, from, from Kunde. Kunde felt like me, uh, oh, sorry, felt to me that he was more of sort of a, a way of positioning Chelsea with the agent to possibly set up a deal for for Aurelien and Schirmeni in the future. They both have the same agent. This is a, a very typical Chelsea thing to do in the past was to sort of, you know, try and get uh, or get garner favour with with agents who had clients that they wanted to deal with in the future by signing one of their players um, sort of in the, in the in the kind of short term, whether that was on loan or whatever it might be. Um, so not not entirely... Um, you know, kind of, I suppose, surprised, I think it's probably the right word, not not entirely surprised that, that we have kind of moved on from him. I think he's very similar to Trevor Chalaba. He's got more experience. He's probably a better player at this point in his career as well. But if you're looking at, at stylistic differences, Chalaba with time probably can can be a player who who is very similar to, to Kunde and the perception of Kunde in the market. I also think Reese James is just a better right centre-back if you want to go with the undersized option there. I think he's he's clearly a better player than Kunde and clearly a better right-sided centre-back as well. So it never really kind of made sense to me that we were pushing so hard for him. But it, it felt very much like, a, like an agent-led deal um, and probably somebody that I would imagine for looking at sort of the, the, the scouting regime that maybe still exists or, or certainly existed in the past, that they had become enamoured with um, and, and it was sort of him or, or nobody else. Um, I, I think with, with Kim Pembe, you know, this again, a very, very talented guy. I think somebody who has, um, you know, exceptional, exceptional recovery pace is probably more of a, a direct replacement for somebody like Antonio Rudiger, who, you know, plays with an immense amount of aggression and, and, and really likes to get on the front foot and has obviously that, that wonderful recovery pace that we, we know very well over his, his time at Chelsea and feels, again, if we're looking almost to go into the profile of player that Tuchel wants, and he, he was very happy with Antonio Rudiger, um, I think Presnel Kimbembe is a player that that probably fits the mould in terms of that. He's maybe a better passer than 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 Rudiger. He's certainly probably a bit more of a progressive passer. Certainly, again, probably carries a similar amount of him in terms of, of progressive carries during a game. But it's, it's more of a maybe a slightly more refined version of, of Rudiger in terms of his his technical qualities on the ball. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, th- those are incredibly incredibly big shoes to fill. And the Nathan Ake one, I think maybe ties into a little bit on the Levi Cowell things here, but I like Ake. I liked him at Chelsea. I felt he was a useful utility player. I felt that his versatility often affected the perception of him and, and kind of made him just be sort of the number two to a number of positions. Um, I'm not entirely sure why you are after a, a left-footed, you know, left-sided centre-back or left, you know, kind of left-sided centre-half in a back four when you have somebody who has the... The, the skill set that Levi Colwell does has the, the same footedness as, as Ake, but has about, I don't know, six inches on him in terms of height, a much more um, Premier League ready physique in terms of his physical attributes, has probably a higher ceiling than him. Um, and uh, in that respect, are you willing to, to sell, you know, Levi Colwell or, or, you know, sell him with a buyback or whatever it might be to fund a deal for a player who doesn't have anywhere near the same amount of talent? Um you know, people who who follow me, you know, people who who will listen to to Phil, Chelsea, Eve, etc. Um, fairly similar opinion. I think I think Colby was one of the most atta- one of the most talented academy players that Chelsea has produced. I, I certainly I put him in that Reese James bracket of maybe having that ability to go and be a really top tier elite player at, at Chelsea standard. Um, and I think the fact that we are entertaining or apparently entertaining him leaving on a permanent deal is is shocking. Um, it's such a bizarre thing to see a guy who maybe needs a season in the Premier League and maybe, you know, working with Thiago Silva and guys like, you know, Kalidou Koulibaly, 
you know, being with them, seeing how they train, seeing how they react, that would be the making of him as a as a second year player back at Chelsea. But the fact that we are entertaining him going while being linked with with guys like Nathan Ake to me just doesn't sit, particularly sit well. Again, no no real slight on Ake as a player. I think he's a good centre half. Is he really of the calibre of player that Chelsea need to close the gap on City and Liverpool? Probably not, in my opinion. He has versatility. He can play a number of roles. That's that's wonderful. Um, I would rather go with the the more talented and, and the younger option at this point in Levi Colwell. I think that that's a very bizarre move. So I think the sort of the summary really here, Dan, is is that I think of, of all of all the sort of the names mentioned, I think Kimpembe is the most the most ready-made replacement for Antonio Rudiger, the most ready-made kind of aggressive player. Uh, you know, probably a little bit more technically technically sound in terms of his distribution and, and similar in terms of of carries. But I think probably the most direct replacement I would see for for Rudiger, uh, Kunde. I'm not entirely sure is is a great fit for for Premier League and is a great fit for the the system and certainly the way that Tuchel wants to play. Um, clear that sort of since Tuchel has the reins that that interest has sort of dissipated and, and fallen away a tiny bit obviously in terms of the noise around it um and Ake I, just, I simply don't get in the context that you have a, a player like Levi Colwell so why would you want to go and spend 40 50 million pounds whatever it might be on a player who is a good centre-back he's not going to be a player that really drastically I would say changes the trajectory of Chelsea as a, as a team um, but yeah, it, it's that that is kind of the, the bizarre situation we're in with Colwell is that he's so talented. Um, it, it's a little bit puzzling that Chelsea would even entertain something to to move him on permanently. But if they are, you know, going down the experience route, and they're going to get Kudabali, and maybe they're going to get Nathan Ake in. You've got two experienced players coming in, Rudiger and Christensen out. Kudabali and Ake in is sort of a, a kind of a net situation, net zero situation. So maybe maybe that is the goal. But you'd have to question whether those two signings are really going to to push the club on versus maybe giving Colwell the 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 ability to to learn and to to train and to you know kind of compete for a position in the second half of the season, similar to how Reese James has managed with Aspeliqueta and the Lampard, you know, pushed on in his second season to really take that spot and, and come into his own as a player. Um, but it, it feels a little bit um, short-sighted to not focus on somebody of, of Colwell's ability in lieu of, of the sort of links to, to Nathan Ake. So I think there's a lot to dive into there. My response to some of the things that you said is one around Levi Colwell. If he stays at Chelsea this season, even with the signing of two players, I think there's definitely minutes available for him. If you think about the fact that Thiago Silva will not play every single match, you're going to have Kobali probably won't play every single match, Kimbebe or Ake, if they come in, will not play every single match. It was crazy amongst all crazy that Antonio Rudiger played 52 matches in last season. I mean, when you kind of look the next outfield player uh, outside of, uh, you know, obviously a goalkeeper, it was Thiago Silva at 46 with 39 total starts and then Mount at 51. All of that needs to come down for player freshness heading into the new season. And so minutes will be available for our players if they stay i mean you know sar had 1500 minutes and you're telling me that if levi stays around that with a similar size of center back options because we haven't talked about asbuqueta leaving yet which would be a third defender leaving and so maybe three just is replacing the three for the net zero if you get 1500 2000 minutes for levi kowal in our existing system in the next season, I would call that a success because he would have had a chance to play in matches that are going to help develop him, get him ready for the Premier League at the Chelsea level, because I think you could sub him into 10 plus Premier League sides tomorrow. And he's, if not a starter, he's the first option across the entire lineup that they have or match day squad they have for kind of a substitute, you know, the one a option for, for center back. I think the other thing is it feels like that's maybe why we're seeing three defenders as being what Tuchel is looking for. I know we've talked about Aspilicueta being someone that Tuchel doesn't want to let go, but it seems like Aspi wants to go from all the reports and have that opportunity to go and play in Spain. I don't know how Barcelona is going to find a way to make it happen for him or even if they're going to send him a paycheck, but that's for him to solve by himself in the future. But if that's to me, if I'm trying to contextualize where all this come, comes from, because the Fabrizio tweet is the only one reporting that Colwell is likely to move on a permanent deal here. 
that Chelsea are again going in for Kamembe and going in for Ake. It feels to me this is predicated by knowing Aspie's going to leave as well. And I think that to me is the missing jigsaw puzzle for why all of this could still happen. And actually, Levi would be okay. Kimembe could come in, Ake could come in, and then Aspie could go. And then actually, it all just nets out the same. And we have the same number of defenders we had last season. But I, I mean, am I reading it right in that way? I think that's the piece that's missing for people. Yeah, I think that that's really good context, then, actually, as well. I, I always, oh, I, I keep forgetting that Aspilicueta and Alonso are sort of, they're on the precipice of, of leaving the club as well. So I think you're right. You know, even with, um, you know, two signings being made, there is going to be an awful number of minutes, particularly, as you say, I think it's right to point out the age profile of, of Silva um, and, and Koulibaly means that they are very unlikely to play every single minute of, of every single game. So, um, and again, you know, Aspie being a, another sort of centre-back in this equation, obviously cover for, for Reece James at times on the right. Um, but it just it just seems, again, as you say, that there, there probably is um, there probably is minutes for, for Colwell or, or, you know, another player to go in there. And it certainly maybe um, kind of, I suppose, outlines a bit why they are maybe pushing for, for free centre-back signings to come in um, you know, the, the rotation of, of that particular area of the pitch last season. Um, but I think really good, obviously, as you pointed out, there was seemed to be fairly frequent, but you, you're kind of questioning whether the quality was coming in each time, particularly, you know, with guys like, we've, we've all respected the world, guys like Malang Saar playing the number of times that he did. Um, you know, th- there will certainly be minutes for, for better players if you're going to go out and, and sign, you know, more than more than one centre-back. And I think the, the Aspie stuff is really important there. But yeah, the, 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 the kind of the, the devil's in the detail really with, you know, how are you how are you splitting up the, the, the defenders? Is is Malang Sar saying, you know, is Azpilicueta definitely going? You know, is Reese James going to be playing more there? He's played there a number of times. You know, who, who are going to sort of be your your guys? Because at the moment, in terms of people contracted to to the club who who can play there regularly, you've got what Saar, Colwell, um, uh, Silver and, and Chalibur. So it's not, it's not a particularly, you know, experienced group. Adding three in there, obviously gives you the the capability of letting um, maybe Saar or, or others, you know, kind of leave the club on permanent deals or, or go on loan. Um, but I do, I just, I just think certainly as you're saying there, that it's, it's possibly a, a position where you could remain at the club in terms of uh, Colwell's position um, and certainly feature and, and start to take those minutes and start to make those minutes your own as well. Yeah. I, I think there's the other thought is if, as P stays, but SAR goes, there's an option for that as well. There's a couple of ways that you can configure this to work out. I think the profile of left-sided players having more individuals, I think we're getting a little lopsided in the amount of left-sided. Yeah. And I think that's where you see links to someone like Bremer, who I know is a favorite of our good friend, Ollie Glanville, as a potential signing, which would be of value with a good time in, in his spell here at Torino that might make more sense as a signing than like a Ake or, you know, or maybe if you go with Kamembe, giving you more of a central option in the future or in a, a back two that you could, or it's center back pairing that you could then have Bremer who covers on the right. And that would give you an option to, you know, feel good about what your compliment is. But I think there's, that's probably the one other element that I don't know if you look at like the depth chart on just where everybody can play left side, right side, center, uh, center of a back three, left of a back three. That's where I, I feel like that, that picture is not clear to me based upon the players we're going after. And that's probably the more, that's where I think the concern to me is, as I feel like we're heading to a situation where we're super heavy on the left, but actually are not deep in our right-sided cover for the pitch. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, sort of the, the last thing there is it's it's infinitely more difficult or less less frequent, let's say, to see a, you know, a left-footed player deputising on the right-hand side um, than, than it is for a right-footer to play on the left with obviously Rudiger being a prime example of, of how that can be successful. Um, but yeah, it does feel a little bit that with all the sort of lefties that we're looking at, um, that, that the the balance of, of that sort of back three. And also, again, if, if there is, you know, this, this switch to a back four, um, I've, I can't remember there being too many uh, like double left, le- you know, left-footed centre-backs being at the middle of a of a you know a, a team. Um, and again, it, it it is about balancing out your your options. It is about having the the ability to play the left footer there when you need to. But 
Um, yeah, Ake and, and Koulibaly probably is overkill in that respect, particularly, as you say, when, when you have Colwell kind of waiting in the wings, who, again, is, is another left footer as well. All right, so I think that covers all of the defenders. I think the last one maybe is just uh, Jacob Steinberg put out a tweet saying that Chelsea were considering Rafael Leo from AC Milan and Serge Gnabry from Bayern Munich as alternatives to Rafinha, who is now a Barcelona player being paid in, I don't know, some type of failed crypto or NFTs That's for him to figure out. But Joe, I know that we've talked a little bit about attacking options. There's been links to Ziyech actually going the other way to Milan, to the other side of Milan and being in AC Milan, potentially, you know, a club that we do really good business well with, you know, they've given them to Mori. We sold them Giroud. Like we, we know how to work with them and they clearly know how to work with us. Different ownership group now, or uh, different, you know, majority shareholders. But in general, that seemingly could be an option. What are your thoughts on Liao and maybe Gnabry as an attacking option that comes into the club? I think if if I was going to pick one of the two, it's probably Liao. Um, you know, this is a guy who I think there there is a clear sort of trend that Tuchel sort of wants these these either these kind of goal scoring kind of wingers, these sort of wide forwards. I think it's it's interesting that statistically. Raheem Sterling profiles most clo- closely to somebody like Mohamed Salah in terms of having that, that ability to be a, a goal scorer and a difference maker. But on the opposite side of that, I think what they're looking for is, um, you know, kind of 1v1 players, guys who can dribble, guys who can carry the ball. Uh, Liao, I think I'm right in saying, was the Italian footballer of the year. I think he won their sort of player of the year award. Um, certainly was was one of the main reasons that, that AC Milan sort of enjoyed the, the success and had the season that they had. Um, a very a very talented and incredibly gifted dribbler, um, great acceleration, great pace overall. Um, I think he, from memory, got, I think, 11, 11 goals, maybe 10 assists or, or, or the other way around. But but into, obviously, the, that, that 20 mark in terms of goals and assists is important, given that we are a team that can be a little bit... Um, sort of goal shy or, or creative lacking a little bit in the sort of creative stakes having a player that can can deliver that sort of uh, level of output would obviously be 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 very interesting his his height and his size again is important 62 physical traits obviously has the the toolkit to play in the premier league maybe that the step up initially would be a little bit of a, an adjustment um but he has you know he's got great technical skill great technical ability and, and somebody that i think potentially is is a, a real kind of uh, fulcrum or a, a player that can dovetail very nicely with a kai Havertz or, or even a, a sterling on the other side as well um Gnabry, I'm, I'm a little less sold on um i do think there is an awful lot to uh to sort of unpack when you're really analyzing sort of bundesliga attackers and what makes them successful um, you know, we have seen firsthand the adjustment that, or the the inability to adjust to Premier League football that some uh, German footballers have had at Chelsea. But there are also others, you know, even somebody like Jadon Sancho, who has, you know, certainly in his first season at Manchester United, got nowhere near reproducing the form that he had for Borussia Dortmund. So, you know, there are, I think, a few red flags and you would have to really do a massive deep dive analysis on him as an individual. Um, has has had, a, a, obviously, an incredibly decent career in Germany, um, been a, a very um, prominent player for, for Bayern Munich. Uh, certainly, again, a player that has the the, the data. I think in, mo- in most cases has a lot of the data points that you would be interested in. But there is a, this sort of underlying tone with with some German attackers that I feel that their their game is is overinflated by the space. It's overinflated by the super aggressive nature of German football when it comes to pressing and counter pressing. It's 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 overinflated by the the sort of the prominence of teams playing incredibly high lines in this sort of rock and roll Jurgen Klopp esque football. So we've seen again at Chelsea where we don't have space. Buying players that operate in space is a very silly thing to do. Um, I would be a little bit more reluctant around Nabri. I, I think Leao is a very interesting player. Maybe still could could benefit from another season in in Italy. Um, but he's one of those players, if you don't make the move now and he, he then has a, another season where he even kicks on further than what we've seen, you know, he's going to be somebody that is going to be very difficult to buy. So, you know, if there is something that, that is there with Hakim Ziyech, um, it would be certainly worth exploring. But you're, if you're looking for a, a pacey, very, very technically gifted and skillful dribbler, somebody who has great creative metrics, who's, who scores goals, um, has has that little bit of X factor, certainly in Serie A, um, then he certainly is, is probably the one that, that fits the mold. And I can see exactly why the club are, are interested in him. So 
The last thing that we'll get into because it was breaking as a recorded was that David Ornstein also reporting that Burnley have agreed to a deal with Chelsea to sign Ian Matson on a season long loan that the paperwork needs to be finalized with the Dutch under 21 international set for medical Thursday and all okay move should be done by the weekend and company wants the 20 year old at left back. And I guess this probably then puts to end the thought that maybe Emerson would leave and Matson would get the opportunity to impress. And instead Matson goes to Burnley and we get to see Emerson at left back cover for Ben Chilwell. If Alonso goes, I guess that's the situation. Yeah, I think so, Dan. Um, I think that this is, this and the Colwell kind of uh, sort of emerging news, I think are very, are very interesting from a couple of standpoints. But one certainly is that I think Tuchel knows that this season he's got to show real market, in, you know, real marked improvement when it comes to the, the Premier League form. Um, you know, again, we've, we've finished miles behind the, the eventual winners. We finished, you know, a, a huge distance away from, from the, the top two teams. And I think he is now looking at having um, sort of veteran or experienced players um, as backups rather than relying on some of the younger players. So th- this, again, in terms of Matson, I think he's a wonderfully talented player, super, super dynamic, has a, a real kind of modern fullback skill set, has played in midfield at times, um, probably, again, under, underrated and sort of undervalued because he is he is short. You know, he's, an, he's a sort of undersized player when it comes to that position, particularly when you sort of put him next to a Marcus Alonso or a, even a, a Ben Shearer at this point. Um but I think a good move for him, obviously, he wants to be playing week in, week out. And, and potentially, if he does it in the championship, we know that that, that can be a, a sounding board and a springboard to, to people at Chelsea taking note of, of performances, um, particularly, again, in a team that I would imagine under the, the, the manager is going to be trying to play a, a brand of football that is a bit more um, palatable and a bit more akin to what Chelsea do. So, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of disappointed because I would have loved to have seen him stick around and get an opportunity. Uh, but it does, again, I think, confirm that, that Tuchel is, is realising that this season he needs to, uh, probably for his own you know, sort of job security, he really needs to show a massive improvement domestically. And it's probably why you're seeing guys like Emerson who are, you know, obviously, you know, decent enough players will be sort of backing up um, guys like Ben Chilwell rather than having a, a young prospect in there. So it feels a little bit like a safety first approach and an approach that is being um, sort of cultivated to give us this um, sort of backbone of, of more players that have had more minutes, had more, more professional career time, etc. which maybe again, as I say, Tuchel's kind of methodology to squad building, given that he feels maybe that there is pressure to, to perform this season. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this episode where we thought we were going to be in and in and out very quickly. But then Fabrizio Romano decides to tweet a couple things. Dave Orenstein decides to tweet a couple things. And then that's where we're at. But Joe, appreciate you staying long to chat about the current situation in Chelsea. And uh, we, we look forward to uh, sending you many photo and video and, I don't know, maybe a Brandon <laughs> Rusby uh, late night 4 a.m. call uh, in Vegas when, we, uh, when we're out on tour. Yeah, I'll be disappointed if I don't get another Busby call. That was certainly one of the highlights. So, uh, yeah, no, but no, I, I hope you guys have a great time. And obviously, all the listeners and everybody coming as well have an incredible time. Uh, yeah, it should be should be very, very good. Um, and if, if Nick Fellaini has organized it, then it will be incredibly fun. So, yeah, obviously, everyone, ha- everyone stay safe, but also have a great time. Uh, his thumbprints are all over this, the crime scene. So, yes, he 100% uh, did a great job of getting everything pulled together. And uh, we're excited to get involved and also be there with our friends in Chelsea and America as well. But Hey, that's going to do it. That's a wrap for this episode. Go enjoy something else with your lives for, I don't know, the next 23 hours until we get to another episode, but until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.